Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing today? All right. It's good to see you guys today. Uh, and so let's just jump right in. How many of you uh, know what your IQ is? You ever done an IQ test? I'm not talking about your intelligence quotient. I'm talking about your irritability quotient. It, you want to take a little test right quick? There should be a post-it note in your seat or somewhere close by your seat. There's pens in the back of the seat in front of you. Let's just take a little fun test and, uh, and see how we're doing on the irritability quotient scale, okay? So here's, uh, uh, there are four possible answers on the ten scenarios that I'm about to give you. If you say in one of those scenarios, I wouldn't bother me at all. I feel no, little or no annoyance whatsoever, then give yourself a zero on that one. If you would say, well, yeah, I'd be a little irritated by that, then give yourself a one. If you say, well, I'd be a little bit upset, kind of bothered, maybe you're a two. If you say, man, I'd, just, I'd really be mad about that, I'd be angry, then you're a three. And if you say, man, I would blow my top, who knows what I would do, then give yourself a four. You ready? Ten simple scenarios. All I want you to do is write down a number, and then we'll add them all up and see where we are in our irritability quotient. Number one, if you unpack and plug in a new appliance that you just bought, and it doesn't work? Would you say, ah, no biggie, I'll just take it back. Would you say, uh, it bothered me a little bit, but oh well, that's just the way things are sometimes. You'd be fine. Give yourself a one. If you say, I'd fuss about the lack of quality in America these days, and then get over it and take it back, then give yourself a, a two. If you'd be bothered, fuss, stew all the way back to the store, and then let the clerk hold it, give yourself a three. If you would be bothered, fuss, stew all the way to the store, let the clerk hold it, ask for a manager, and then write a letter to the company, give me a run, refund, I didn't even want the thing, and give yourself four. Okay? You got, you got the feel for what we're doing now? So give yourself a score on that first one. You unpacked and plugged in a new appliance that you just bought and it doesn't work. Number two, here we go. If you're overcharged by a repairman that has you over a barrel, he's got you, there's nothing you can do about it, and you know he's overcharged you. Zero to four. Got it? Number three, if your car gets stuck in the mud, would that bother you? No big deal. Where would you be? Number four, if you're talking with someone and they won't answer you. Okay, got a little stir on that one, a little nerve push in there. Might be some threes and fours in the house on that one. Okay, let's see. Uh, number five, if someone pretends to be something that he or she isn't. Does that bother you? No big deal. And boy, I would just blow my top. Number six, if you're hounded by a salesperson from the moment you walk in the store. Does that bother you? You say that's just his job? Would you fuss him out? What would you do? Number seven, if you're being joked on or teased and you don't want to be the brunt of their joke. How do you feel about that one? Zero to four. If you're trying to concentrate but someone near you is constantly clicking their pen. Click, 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 How we doing? Got some threes and fours in that one, huh? Number nine, if you've had a busy, hectic day and someone reminds you of something that you promised to do but you didn't get to. You say, oh, man, I'm sorry. You say, I've been so busy. I mean, where are you on the scale of 
zero to four. And then finally, number 10, you need to make an important call. You check your cell phone. The battery's low, but you're convinced you've got enough battery to make the call. And just as it starts ringing, it dies. How are we doing? Add, add up your scores. You've got 10 scores there. Add them all up. And let's get a total for everybody. You can hide it. Nobody can see it. Don't show it to your spouse because they'll use it against you. Just... Just, just add them all up, okay? Da 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 da. You ready? Okay. If you scored zero to eighteen, you're either a liar or a saint. Or you might be floating down a river in Egypt called denial. If you scored nineteen to twenty-two, then you're more peaceful than most. 23 to 30, you're probably average. 31 to 34, you are irritable, and everybody knows it. 35 to 40, you are a hothead, and most people see you that way. You really need to do something about it, okay? Nobody's going to ask you your score, but the reality is when we do these kinds of things, the question that goes through my mind is, are we all monsters? I thought we were... Christians, I thought we were nice people. I thought we were, you know, followers of Jesus, and yet we take these kinds of tests, and, and, and it's hard sometimes not to get irritated at the junk that life throws at us every day, even though we want very much to get along with people. So what's the problem? The problem is this. No one ever taught us how to manage our anger. I mean, where do they teach that stuff? They teach that in school. Most churches don't teach it. Unless you go to a counselor or something, where do you learn how to manage your anger? That's what we're going to try to do today, get a glimpse into what we can do. For those of you that are new, we're in a series that we're calling Love is a Verb, and we're talking about that reality that love is more than a feeling, it's more than an emotion, it is an action step. It's a choice that you make, it's a commitment that you make to give others what they need, not what they deserve, and so week by week through the series... We'll be finishing up next weekend, week by week through the series. We're pulling out phrases from 1 Corinthians 13 to help us to be a more loving people in every relationship in our lives, whatever the relationships are, whether it's a marital relationship, parent-child, co-worker, friendships, uh, fellow church members, whatever it is, these principles apply to every relationship that we want to have any kind of healthy intimacy in. If you've been missing the, the messages or you just want the manuscripts, you can go to info at bridgechurch.cc and, and just ask for the Goldsboro uh, campus uh, uh, manuscripts and, and you'll get the full manuscript of what I'm bringing to you today. If you want to follow along the outline, go to the Bible app on your smartphone or your iPad or whatever and, and click events, look for the Goldsboro Bridge campus and you can follow along with the outline today and all the scriptures are going to be sharing with you and there's even a place for you to, to write notes. I need to warn you, uh, it, it goes away after an hour. It's like man, my sermons are like manna from heaven. They're wonderful and fresh and then they rot after a few hours. It's just, they go away quickly so you'll have to save it or email it to yourself if you want to keep it for future reference. Let's get into it, okay? First Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5, love is not, say it with me, easily angered. Now, let's just be clear up front. That does not say love does not get angry. Can I get an amen? Truth is, sometimes getting angry is the most loving thing you can do. And besides, you don't get angry about stuff you don't care about, do you? No, it's the stuff we care about that we get fired up on, we get emotional about. And so, this does not say love does not get angry. What it says is love isn't easily angry 
anger. So we're not talking about getting rid of anger today. If you came hoping to get the solution to that or the, the magic formula for that, you're going to be disappointed. What we're talking about is learning to manage your anger in a loving kind of way in order to deepen your relationships. Well, Jim, I'd rather get rid of mine. But do, okay, here, but, but do you understand who gave you the capacity to get angry? I mean, the Bible says God got angry. The Bible also says God never sinned. We're created in the image of God. That capacity to get angry comes directly from our Heavenly Father. All we need to do is learn how to manage it rather than it managing us. All I'm trying to say to you today is that properly managed, anger is an asset. So let's learn how today, how to manage it today so that we can make our anger be an asset. Is that worth a few minutes of our time? If you scored 0 to 18, then God bless you, you can go on because i got nothing to tell you. In fact, you come teach the message if you want to. Uh, but most of us, I think, probably need to learn a little bit more about how to manage it. There are six steps, six dynamics. Let me walk through them as quickly as we can to get a handle on them, okay? Dynamic number one is you've got to resolve to manage it. If you really want to learn to manage your anger, you've got to resolve to manage it. You've got to quit saying, I can't help it. You've got to quit saying, well, that's just the way I am. You've got to quit saying, well, you know, I'm Italian, and that's what we do. I'm Irish, that's what we do. You've got to quit that stuff. The truth is, you can manage your anger better than you think you can. I've tried, Pastor. I, I, I can't figure it out. Yes, you can. You ever been in the middle of a heated argument and the phone ring? Hey, how you doing? No, it's, no, it's a fine time to call. No, it's, no, we're not in the middle of anything. Sure, what's going on? Yeah. Hang up the phone and go right back where you were before the phone rang. You can control it better than you think you can. We just have to decide we're going to. So let me motivate you. Okay, let me give you some motivators. You tell me if you agree with these statements. Okay, here we go. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22. A hot-tempered man gets into all kinds of trouble. Can I get an amen in the house? Yeah. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Can I get a witness? That's true, isn't it? Proverbs 14, 29, anger causes mistakes. Is it true? You ever been doing something, you were so angry, you've made a mistake, and you went, oh man, I've got to calm down, or I'm going to blow this whole thing out, right? Proverbs 14, 17, a quick-tempered person does foolish things. Pastor Jim paraphrase of the whole summary of all those verses is, when I lose my temper, I lose. In fact, everybody that I'm in relationship with loses when I lose my temper. And that's true in every area of life, guys. It's true in our careers. You ever known anybody that had huge potential, but their anger set the ceiling how far they could go? Somebody said, uh, you don't make it to the top if you keep blowing your top. It's true. How about health? Any relationship between out-of-control anger and health? Sure there is. There's tons of evidence that there's a, there's a profound link between hostility and health, between the physical, spiritual, and emotional aspects of our lives. In terms of heart health, in terms of migraines, in terms of, uh, of blood pressure. You ever heard somebody say, you're going to bust a blood vessel, right? Where did that come from? We know there's a tie. Don't get your blood pressure up now. Why do we do that? Because we know that there is a link. How about family? Does anger cost you something in your family? Out of control anger, I should say? Yeah. Can I, can I just throw this in somewhere here, parents? Um, if you use anger to get your kids to do something, you need to understand something. There's a short-term payoff for that. They'll move. They'll do. There's a long-term cost. 
ultimately they will lose respect because anger always ultimately alienates. Anger ultimately always alienates. You may want to tweet that one. That's worth keeping. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 29, the fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have, hello, nothing worthwhile left. So the first step to managing your anger is what? Make up your mind, I'm going ha- I'm, I'm to get a handle on this. Resolve to get a handle on it. Resolve to manage it. Step number two, reflect before you react. In other words, don't respond impulsively or emotionally the minute the anger wells up inside of you. Slow down just a little bit. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11, a rebel shouts in anger, a wise man holds his temper and cools it. I bet you didn't know chill out was in the Bible. (laughs) Here we go, guys. uh, Delay is a great tool for controlling your anger. Now, I'm not saying sit on it, you know, bury it. I am saying that one of the most valuable management tools we have for our anger is to calm down, think it through, and don't react. Hear me, guys. The, The more effort we put into thinking through what's really going on here, the more we understand the issue from all sides, the more control we have when we finally begin to communicate why we're upset, why we're irritated, why we're angry. I can tell you now that when I fail to stop and think something through, I almost always do or say something I wish I hadn't done or said. It's real quiet in the room, but I don't think I'm the only one that's ever fallen in that trap before. You can leave me up here squirming all by myself? (laughs) Come on. The wise people do what? What did the Bible say? The wise person holds his temper and chills out. Thomas Jefferson is famous for saying, when you're angry, count to 10. When you're really angry, count to 100. (laughs) And I say that's fine as long as while you're counting, you're praying. And here's what you're praying. You're praying, Lord, help me to understand what's really going on here. Help me to understand the real deal that's here. Proverbs 19, 11 from the NIV, a, person wis- a person's wisdom yields patience. In other words, the more you understand what's going on, the more understanding you'll be about what's going on. So while you're, pray- while you're counting, you're praying, and here's what you're praying. You're asking God to give you wisdom in three areas. You, maybe if you're taking notes, you want to write these things down and keep them in mind. Three areas that you're saying, God, give me some wisdom in this thing before I react, before I say anything, before I go after the person that's angered me. Help me to get some wisdom in these three areas. Number one, why am I angry? Why why am I angry? What's the deal here? Understand that anger is not the root issue. You know that? Anger is just a red flag that says there is a root issue. And so if you just deal with the anger, you never get to the root issue. You never solve the problem. I mean, it's so simple, and yet quite often we don't take the time to stop and think it through. If you get sick and go to a doctor, what's the doctor do? He or she immediately begins to ask for your symptoms. He begins to say, you know, so what's going on? How are you feeling? What what part hurts? What's, What's he doing? What's she doing? They're trying to get to the heart of the matter because they can treat the symptoms but not necessarily cure the disease. they got to go to the heart of the matter in order to figure out what's going on, in order to fix the problem. Anger is usually a symptom of one of three things. You know what it is? Hurt, fear, or frustration. 
Most of the time, if you're angry, it's because you've been hurt by something, you're afraid of something, or you're frustrated about something. So, when you're angry, before you react, ask yourself, am I hurt? And if I'm hurt, is it physical hurt? Is it emotional hurt? Is it financial hurt? Is it relational hurt? What kind of hurt do I have? Ask yourself, am I afraid? Am I afraid of losing something that's important to me and my fear is driving me right now? Am I frustrated about something? And if I am, what am I frustrated about? You ever been, you ever been late for an appointment and you're doing 70 in a 55 and a little old lady pulls out in front of you and never gets over 25 and all you can see is her head and her hands on the steering wheel <laughs> And then just about the time you're about to blow your top, uh, Kim leans over. I mean, a, an angel whispers to you and says, that could be your mother, you know. The more understanding you have, the more understanding you'll be. So pray. Pray, Lord, why? Why am I so angry? What is it about this? Am I afraid? Am I frustrated? Am I hurting? Why am I so angry? Second area, what am I hoping for? What, uh, when I have this conversation, what do I hope will come out of that conversation? Before I reveal my anger, what's my goal? I mean, if, if you're hurt, then maybe somebody was insensitive to you. What's your goal when you talk to them? To blast them for being insensitive? Or to help them understand that their insensitivity is painful for you, and you want them to, to work at being more sensitive? I mean, that's your goal, right? If you're afraid and, and maybe somebody that you expected to protect you didn't, then what's your goal when you talk to that person? Just to blast them or to say, you know, I'm counting on you for this. I thought you told me you would provide that protection and, and it makes me angry when you don't do what you said you were going to do. Is it frustration? You know, if you're ever expecting a new diamond for your birthday and it didn't come, what are you after? You're after a diamond the next time. I mean, it's simple, right? Here's the problem. I thought I'd get a laugh out of that one, but anyway. Here's the third area, and, and we'll deal with the problem. Third area is how do I get it? What am, why am I angry? What am I hoping for? And how can I ultimately get that? The reality is this. Lean in. Hear what I say. Most of us are so poor at managing our anger, the methods we use get us further away from what we want rather than closer to it. Can I get an amen or an oh me? It's true. So before you blow off steam, resolve to manage your anger. Reflect on what's really going on before you react. Number three, release my anger appropriately. Okay, I've, I've slowed down. I've thought it through. I've been praying for wisdom. I've got a sense of, of what's going on here and, and what I really want from this thing and how am I going to get it. And now I'm ready to release my anger in appropriate kinds of ways. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, In your anger do not sin. That tells me that there is a way to communicate anger that's not Sinful. Does that make sense? In other words, there are right ways and wrong ways to release your anger. There are helpful ways and unhelpful ways to release it. There are appropriate ways and inappropriate ways. Whatever terms you want to use, the key uh, to healthy relationships ultimately is to learn appropriate and helpful ways to communicate our anger when we feel it. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. I mean, it seems so obvious, right? 
But the problem is most of us have never been trained <laughs> to how to do it. But hear me, guys, lean into this. Nothing destroys a relationship faster than unmanaged anger. Nothing is worse. Here's the good news. We can get angry without sinning, and we can get what we need out of, out of our relationships if we learn how to release our anger God's way. If we learn what the Bible says about how to release our anger, then we can get what we long for. And that's what I want us to lean into it for a minute. How do we release our anger appropriately? I, I, I thought of three ways that we typically release anger, and, and I will tell you that there are two uh, don't do's and one do do. I just wanted to say do do in church to see. It's, a, it's just fun to say do do in church. But anyway, you know. Okay, I'm silly. I'm in seventh grade. But there are two things you don't do, and there's one thing that you do. Now, before we get into it, I, I, I need to expose a myth. Need to make sure we understand the myth, okay? The myth is this. Everybody has X amount of anger. And if you vent it, if you get it off your chest, you'll be empty of anger, you'll feel better, and then you'll be ready for meaningful relationships. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? You, know, you understand that's why modern psychologists uh, come up with therapies like primal scream therapy? Because they believe that if you get in a room somewhere, get in the woods somewhere, and scream and holler and beat your fist against a tree and find a vent it all out, that you'll be fine. You've, it's all gone now. Now you can get on with your relationships. The problem is you don't have a certain amount of anger. You have an anger factory Got one amen. Is it true? Yeah, we, we, we get rid of what we got, but if you didn't deal with the issue that made you angry to begin with, guess what? Your angry quota will fill up again, and now there's frustration added to the fear and the hurt, so it actually goes to a higher level. So you vent that off, but you still didn't deal with the issue, and it fills up again, and it gets wussa and wussa and wussa. I don't know if wussa is a word, but you know what I'm talking about. Right? So let's talk about ways to release our anger. Three common ways, two don't do's and one do-do. That's just fun. Number one, don't bury your anger. Do not bury your anger. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. So let's go back to the rest of that verse. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do you understand what that implies? It implies... That to bury your anger, yes, we said you should slow down a little bit. You should think it through. You should calm down before you release. But it implies that if you bury your anger, that's a sin too. It's called lying. Sad reality is that most of us would rather be angry than admit we're angry. Because if we do then it reveals to that person how we're, how we're feeling, hurt, afraid, frustrated, and we don't know how they're going to react to that. We don't know what they're going to do when we tell them how we're really feeling right now. And so when they say, are you okay? You seem angry. Who, me? I'm not, no, I'm not angry. No, I'm fine. Here's the phrase. You've used it before. I'm just tired. Right? Hello, don't let me like, look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. This is real stuff that we all have to deal with. Can I just be transparent with you and tell you that for a lot of years in my life, this was my biggest sin? 
I'm one of those personalities that loves for people to like me. I love people. I love to talk with people, interact with people. I love to, for, for them to, to listen to what I've got to say and, and respond whether they agree or not and have dialogue. I love that kind of stuff. That's my love language is words. And, uh, and I love it so much that people would ask me, Jim, how are you doing? And I'd say, I'm fine. And they'd say, are, are we okay? Yeah, we're fine. Did I do a good job on that thing you assigned to me? Oh, yeah, you did a great job. When, in fact, they didn't. And I finally came to the realization that I was lying to the people that was most important to me out of my own fears that they wouldn't like me anymore if I told them the truth. And so I actually went to the staff of the church that Kim and I pastored in Chesapeake at the time, and I pulled them together and said, guys, I got a confession to make, I got an apology to make, and I need you to forgive me. I have been lying to you. I've told you things were fine when they weren't fine. I've told you that you're doing great when you're not doing great. I've told you I'm doing great when I'm not doing great. And God has convicted me, and I've asked his forgiveness, and I need to ask your forgiveness too. <laughs> Interesting. Pendulums. Pendulums don't swing from extreme to balance. Have you figured that out yet? Pendulums swing from one extreme to the other. And so for the next few months, every time I would say, hey, can I see you in my office for a minute? Oh, no, Pastor Jim wants to see me in his office. Y'all pray. <laughs> Jesus came in grace and truth. And I had to learn to find that balance. Hear me, guys. To bottle it up, to bury it, to hold on to it ultimately is a sin because when anger is bottled up, it finally explodes. And somebody said when it explodes, it sprays shattered glass on everybody around, injuring every relationship within shot. So when you're ready to release your anger, don't bury it. Number two, don't manipulate people with your anger. Don't manipulate people with your anger. And there's a couple of ways that we do that. There's lots of ways, but there's two primary ways that we tend to do that. There is aggressive behavior where we, we confront people, we get in their face, we tell them, here's what has to happen, here's what you're doing wrong, here's what you have to correct, and we can get very, you know, just kind of vent on them, just yell at them, maybe even hit them. And I've already told you, when you do that, everybody suffers, everybody loses. Let me tell you right quickly, because parents do this far more often than they should, and even, uh, even uh, married couples do this sometimes. Ultimatums don't work. When you say, if you step across that line, I'm going to do this. Well, what do you do if they step across the line? I had a man in my office some time ago, uh, broken, weeping, and, and I said, uh, how can I help you? What's going on? He said, I told my wife over and over and over again, if you do that again, I'll divorce you. And she walked in this past week and said, I'm not going to give you a chance to say that again. Here are my divorce papers. She was done being manipulated by aggressive behavior. But there's another kind that perhaps is more common even, and that's passive-aggressive behavior. I'm talking about the silent treatment. I'm talking about playing martyr. I'm talking about going around po po you know, pouting. How do you say that word? Pouting. <laughs> you need to know that passive-aggressive is still aggressive. It's just a different style. And, it, and both are ma manipulation techniques. If you use them, you might win the current battle, but you will ultimately lose the relationship. Because relationships are not about us manipulating each other. They're about honest dialogue 
and intimacy and you never really address the issue. So what do you do? Kim's coming to the stage. We're going to illustrate for you the, the way that you do that. Um, you don't bury your anger. You don't use it to manipulate people either aggressively or passive-aggressively. Instead, you make sure that you attack the issues, not the people. Have you all met my wife, Kim? 41 years this woman's been putting up with me. I am the blessed, most blessed man on the planet. And yes, I married in over my head. Got it. I accept that. Praise God for it. Here's what we do. Kim, would you stand over on this side? Imagine that this is a problem in our relationship. She did something or didn't do something. I did something, didn't do something. We, oh, I did it, certainly. <laughs> problem is, usually when we're angry, all we can see is what the other person did or didn't do. We can't see what we did or didn't do. Hello? So we, so we get together and we say, you have a problem. You have a problem. You've got to fix this. You've got to do something about this. And what are we doing? Are we attacking the problem? No, we're not. We're attacking each other. And when we get into that level of conversation, what ultimately happens? We stop talking about the issue at all, and we start arguing about the way we're arguing. Is that true? We start going, how dare you speak to me that way? Or... You didn't even let me finish before you started talking, because that's what we do. We start out listening to each other and waiting our turn, and then we get to where we don't wait our turn. <laughs> we start yelling over each other. Come on. But I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I don't do that. <laughs> so what's the solution to this? The solution is to realize if I'm going to be in a healthy relationship, whether it's a marriage or parent-child or co-worker or whatever it is, if I'm going to be in a healthy relationship, we've got to get together and we've got to say, we have a problem we need to find a solution to. Because guess what? If Kim's got a problem, I got a problem. And if I got a problem, Kim's got a problem. And so the only way we get past it is to stop attacking each other and start saying, what's really going on here? What are the real issues? Are, are we afraid? Are we hurt? Are we frustrated? What's really going on here? And how do we make sure that we communicate in a way that we're attacking the issue, not each other? Does that make sense? Does it? Thanks, Kim. Love you. Let's appreciate Kim. So what do you do if you want to begin to manage your anger? You've got to get a handle on uh, resolving that's not just the way it is. You can get a handle on this thing. You've got to reflect before you react, and then you've got to release your anger in appropriate, healthy kinds of ways uh, where you are, in fact, attacking the issue and not each other. Well, Jim, I hear that, and, you know, and, and I've heard some of these kind of teachings before, and I'm really trying. I've really tried, and I'll get better for a while, and, and, and then I fall back into old patterns. You know, I just kind of fall back into the old stuff. Why, why does that happen? That's number four. I've got to re-pattern my thinking. You've got to re-pattern your thinking. Here's, here's the deal, guys. Most of us form our way of managing anger when we're very, very young. And we carry that style all the way into our adulthood. The problem is we didn't have many role models who knew how to do it. I heard one couple say one time that the wife said the only role model I've ever had is, is my mom and dad screaming at each other all the time. And the husband said, well, the only role model I ever had is they, did all, they must have done all their fighting behind closed doors because I never 
They, they always got along perfectly, and I know that's not humanly possible. So neither one of them had a healthy model. Neither one of them knew how to do it. So we learn from family members. We learn from Hollywood. We learn from friends. We learn from the street. And even though we, 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 we didn't see a good result from the way they did it, it's all we know. So we have to repattern our thinking. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says very simply, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by promising to never get angry again. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I will never do it again. What are the odds between slim and none? By watching Oprah. Oprah can help you with this. Dr. Phil can fix it for you. All right? By what? By the renewing of your mind. I've told you before, I like the international children's version because it's written on my level. It says, be changed by a new way of thinking. And what's our new way of thinking? Love is not easily angered. I will resolve to manage my anger. I will reflect before I react. While I'm reflecting, I'll ask God for wisdom on why I'm angry, what do I really need, and how do I go about getting it. Then when I do speak, I'm going to attack the issue, not the person. That may sound like a lot of effort. But the fact is, the more you do it that way, the easier it becomes. And in time, you can do that whole process in your mind in a few minutes or a few seconds even because it becomes a new pattern of thinking, a new way of doing things. What's happened to Kim and I in 41 years of marriage is that we were as volatile as any other couple in the early days of our marriage. But over the years, I call it fighting in slow motion. She might say something, and, uh, and I have a reaction to it that, that if I fire back, it's going to escalate things. So I just say, let me think about that for a minute. So I think about it for a while, and then I come back and say, okay, I think I understood you to say. And she'll say, well, I don't think I'm being clear about what I'm trying to say to you. And, and say to you. And so we, we kind of slow it down and have this dialogue that ultimately gets us to the issues. It took a lot of years of working at it to get good at it. In fact, I would suggest to you that if you're having trouble thinking this way and operating this way, then, then go away and write it all down. Just get a piece of paper and pour it out. Just don't worry about the order. Don't worry about whether it's ugly. Don't worry about grammar. Just pour it out. Write a letter. Don't mail it. Just pour it all out and then go back and read that letter cold so that you hear yourself saying, and by the way, use some verses from this sermon when you write your letter and you get to the solution part of the letter. Use some of the principles from this sermon when you get to the solution mode of the letter. Pastor Jim, I believe what you're saying, but again, the only role models I've ever had are bad ones, and I'm not sure that I, I know how to get there. Well, that's the fifth step. You've got to relate to people who are not easily angered. Proverbs 22, 24, and 5, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Does that make sense? Is anger contagious? It is, isn't it? When somebody's angry with you, how do you initially react? The natural initial reaction is to either be defensive or counterattack. That's what we do, which escalates it to the next level. So now they're defensive and they're counterattacking. And again, as I said, before you know it, we're not fighting about the issue. We're fighting about the way that we are fighting. So how do you break that? The Bible says, choose your friends wisely. 
Find some people who are good role models of getting a handle on this kind of stuff. If you're really serious about changing your bad habits, breaking free from a lifestyle of anger mismanagement, then you need to hang out with some people that are working on it. And they're not going to get it perfect any more than you are, but they're working on it. And they're supporting each other and, account and holding each other accountable. That's why life groups are so important in our church, because you can't get that in, in a setting like this. And it doesn't matter which campus of our church you go to. It doesn't matter what church you go to. You're not going to get it in a setting like this. This is what we call a, a face-to-back setting. You know what that means? As you're sitting in a chair, you're looking, if you look straight forward, you're looking at the back of somebody's head. You can't relate to the back of somebody's head, right? And it's impossible for me or anybody else that's been on the stage to do this for all of us. It's just not possible. So what do you do? You get into a small group. And you start talking about, with each other, building trust relationships and learning from each other. I guarantee you the majority of the TV programs and movies and books that you see and read this week will display anger in a dysfunctional way. You need a counterbalance. You need somebody like church, life group, to help you do that. Not in a life group, fill out a connect card. We'll get in touch with you this week. We'll get you started in a life group. But the most important step, I've got to close is bring your hurts, bring your frustrations, bring your fears to Jesus. You know one of the biggest reasons why we get so angry with the people that we love? One of the number one reasons is because we put expectations on them that are unfair expectations. We expect them to meet every relational need in our lives, and that's not possible. God created us to be in relationship with Him. And He gave us a whole flock of brothers and sisters and intimate human relationships to fill some of our relational need. But at the end of the day, there's a part of us that's a, that's a God-shaped void, and it can only be filled by God Himself. So if you really want to get a handle on this thing, you've got to process through what of the expectations that I'm putting on the people in my life are fair and what are unfair because, in fact, God can only be the one to meet them. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Maybe if I'd ask you before the service today, if you are a Christian, you would have said yes. But maybe sitting here right now, you realize that you've never really related to him at that way. Actually looked to him and said, you know, I've got some relational voids in my life, and I need to be in relationship with you, Jesus. We're going to pray in just a moment. We're going to pray these points as a commitment for all of us but for some of you the most important prayer you're going to pray today is Jesus begin to fill that void in my life and as a result of getting my vertical relationships right I can begin to build healthy horizontal relationships make sense let's pray Jesus, thank you for loving us just the way we are. Thank you for loving us when we get it right, loving us when we get it wrong. Thank you for not being easily angered at us. 
So right here, right now, we're going to pray a prayer to you. And we're sincerely asking you to help us. You ready, guys? You can pray out loud. You can pray silently. Pray in your own words. I don't care, but let it go something like this. Jesus, help me to get a handle on my anger. Help me to slow down enough to reflect before I react. And while I'm reflecting, you said if any man lacked wisdom, you would give it to him generously. So I need wisdom to know what's really going on here. Am I afraid? Am I hurt? Am I frustrated? What's really going on here? Lord, when I'm ready to release my anger appropriately, help me to attack the issues, not the people. Are you praying, guys? Lord, would you put some people in my life that are doing pretty good in this area, that are working on it and getting better all the time so that I can have role models? People who are not easily angered. And at the end of the day, Lord, would you fill the void in my life Forgive me for trying to fill it up with stuff that doesn't fit. Make yourself real to me right now. Show me what it means to have intimate relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. And I will thank you. I do thank you for hearing and answering my prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, let somebody know. The Bible says where two or three agree is touching anything it's done, let somebody know. If you're in a life group, tell your life group leader that this message really spoke to you and you're working in those areas. Tell somebody that cares. The prayer team's going to be here in the front after the service. They would love nothing better than to just receive you unconditional in an unconditional loving kind of way and pray with you. But let somebody know that this is your next step in your journey to connect with God. Before we go, I've got a letter I need to read to you, and we'll pray, and we'll dismiss the service. This is a letter from our pastor, Pastor Farrell Hardison. Dear Bridge family, after much prayer and seeking guidance from dear and wise friends, I've decided that now is the time for me to step aside as senior pastor of the bridge. This should not be a surprise to many of you who have heard me comment especially in the last three years, that my time as pastor has been coming to a close. I admit that this announcement today comes a little earlier than I originally planned, but I am confident the timing is right. Please pray for Millie and me as we seek God's will for our next ministry venture. Pray for our leadership team as they endeavor to find God's man for the bridge. My final day as your pastor is this Father's Day, June 18th. I'll be providing more details in the days and weeks to come, Pastor Farrell Hardison. Would you stand with me? And let's pray. Let's pray for Pastor Farrell and Miss Millie, uh, who have served this church faithfully for Father's Day will be 27 years, and done an amazing job of ministering to people and ministering to so many lives. 
And then let's pray for our church. God's not surprised by this. He's not panicked by it. He's already got a plan. We just need to hear from him. So would you pray that prayer with me? Father, thank you for Farrell and Millie. Thank you for their lives, for their commitment to you first and foremost, and then their commitment to our church family, Lord. Only heaven will reveal the thousands upon thousands of lives that they've touched, not just here in Princeton, Goldsboro, Mount Olive, and beyond, but across the planet, literally, as the arms of this church reach to many different corners of the world. I thank you, God, for their service and their faithfulness. I do pray blessing over them. I pray favor over them. I pray that you would guide them in the days ahead. And then I pray, Lord, that our elders and our senior leadership team, as we work together to, to, to search for and seek for and find God's next leader for our church, we're just trusting that you've already prepared the way on that side too that we're going to be amazed by you, the way you provide the right person at the right time to lead our church to the next level. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said together.